Blog Talk Radio. There was a time I was so afraid, so scared to do what I wanted. In looking back, I can see all the mistakes that I made And I wish that I could talk to me And tell me I can change Don't be afraid Just walk with your Hi, welcome to Blog Talk Radio, Safe Recovery. This is Monica Richardson, and I am your host. Today is June 9th, 2015. Well, the years, and this year is flying by us. We are now into, is it the second part of the year yet? Right? January, February, March, April, May, June. Nope. Well, at the end of the first half of this year, well, it's quite a... It's been quite a whirlwind, i got to tell you, and I wanted to talk a little bit about wrapping things up, although I do have to say that I just came back from court with the uh, Tracy White murder trial, and so it's pretty grim and um, pretty uh, interesting and pretty horrible. So I'm probably going to talk about that. I'm going to start with what happened, uh, as I said in the post, and then we'll just go down the merry road of what comes out and take it like it is. Uh, hi there, Leon. I see you there in the chat room. I hope you can hear me and appreciate um, all you did in Europe and all you've done with the music. And that's Leon Lewis. Helped me with all my music um, supervising and with my and finding music. He's got a huge library of music and uh, helped me with that. So, again, thank you, Leon, and in introducing me to my fantastic uh, lawyer and new friend, Julia Decadenay. Uh, what happened is we went first to Paris and only stayed a day and a half, a place to sort of land, and then took a train to Cannes. And um, and that was an interesting trip. Uh, there are no porters at the uh, train station to help you like there are at Amtrak. So Kevin and I had way too much large pieces of luggage, so it was kind of comedic, sloshing through the uh, station there. And it decided to rain that day in Paris as we chugged through the station with Julia um, headed with our stuff down to Cannes. Um, in Cannes, the film was scheduled to show two times. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of... Um, uh, there are uh, a lot of people there that are not there for the film festival. You know, and there's designers and people and, uh, you know, sort of, I don't know how to describe it, but better bring your walking shoes is the advice I have for anybody and for myself next time forget what they look like or go get nice ones because you're walking back and forth, back and forth from the festival, from the palace to back and forth to your hotel. And uh, so you see them. And, and you know, i got to tell you, the red carpet there is insane uh, compared to a Hollywood carpet. Uh, it must have been like five times the width of a red carpet here and up the main stairwell. And I would see them over there as I'd be walking back and forth every day and night, and there are pavilions, like there's the American Pavilion and there's the British Pavilion, and of course the American Pavilion didn't want to have anything to do with me or my film, because as I probably suspected, there's many steppers working, you know, being of service at the American Pavilion uh, over there, so that is what it is, but um, so basically, uh, you know, you go and you get your tag and you get all settled and you get the lay of the land and it's just absolutely huge. I mean, I've been to Hot Docs in Toronto and that's pretty big too. It's really big. But this is a whole other level of big and uh, and we, you know, get our stuff and then, you know, you go find out where the documentary corner is and that's where the film 
played. So for those of people who don't understand it, and it's pretty hard for me to grasp it, or it was until I got there, there's only a certain number of films that actually get into special selection, which when you get in, then you're in there for competition and you could win a prize. Like I was in the Beverly Hills Film Festival. I was chosen for special selection. I did win the prize of um, Best Documentary Jury Selection, which was absolutely amazing. But there's only a few films that are in can like that. The other, you know, 600 or how many show uh, are all in the Marche du Film section, M-A-R-C-H-E-D-U-F-I-L-M. Um, and that portion is where really everybody else's film is screening. And still, anybody just can't show up and show. You have to be accepted and be in it. And my film is in that library for... I don't know if it's in there for a year or for longer, but it's it's in there. And if uh, anybody wants to see the movie or wants to request a screening, we want the, the film to come to your town, you want it to come to your university, you would like me to come and speak to um, lawyers, uh, therapists, college students, doctors, med students, just come on and uh, go to the 13th step, the film, and there's a contact page and you can reach me there, and that's what I intend to do, is do a lot of that. So here's what happened. So we screened the film, and you know it looked good. It was a small crowd. And then the second screening was a much larger crowd. And what happens then is we have technical problems. And the projector, in the middle of the film, it just starts to go on and off. It was really, really stressful. But really what happened as a result of that is that they felt really bad and they gave me an extra a refund. They're giving me a refund, and they gave me another night, another day, I mean, another screening. And from that, they also sent out an email to a 1,000 and something buyers about my film and that it was screening another time the following day. So there was, I guess, some free you know, PR that came from that, that little problem, and they were very nice and very apologetic. It was rough because it was... It, it, there were more people there than any other screening, and that's the one where there were, there were these technical problems. Um, so uh, then we uh, jumped on a plane from Nice and went to London, and that's when I got to meet Leon. And then we met. Um, I met Michael from Recovering from Recovery, and we started to do you know gear up for the screening at the Mayfair Hotel. And I think that the Mayfair Hotel was maybe one of the nicest experiences I've had yet. Uh, it was really nice to be not in America to show the film, although I know that there were a people there. Um, I had called a cult watch there and invited them, women um, who make movies, um, women who make films. They came. Um, I got to meet John Stewart, and he's in the queue here. Um, we have to schedule a show with you. i I got to tell you, John, uh, I mean, anybody can call in if you want to call in eight one eight. What's my number? Four seven five ninety two eleven. Although I know you're in, um, you're across the pond there. So uh, you know, it was really a beautiful theater. It was the biggest screen we had seen the film on. I had redone my Blu-ray and redone the DVD so that there was no color problems that there were in Beverly Hills or sound issues that there were at other places. It just looked gorgeous. It sounded gorgeous. It was on THX Sound. And I was watching it with a bunch of ex-steppers and some press and lots of other artistic musician types that Leon had brought along, a lot of fun people and a lot of professionals. And we all, you know, hung out together. And it was just, it was really, really wonderful. Uh, Let me see. Somebody's writing in the chat room. Um... But this is the first time I've been on in a really long time. I think it's been a month or longer. I left for Europe on the 11th of May, and I did not do any shows. Right? I don't think I, I don't think I did any shows there. Uh, I'm super tired from being in court. I, I was going to leave after the noon break, and I decided to stay because there was another detective from uh, York, Pennsylvania, that I wanted to hear and see um, the interview, which uh, I did. Um, So I would say that um, the trip to Europe was very, very successful. I loved London. I think that England is really ripe for my film in that there's a lot of stuff being exposed 
in England right now. Um, there's a lot of sexual predatory, uh, really bad, like, you know, the pedophilia stuff going on that's exposed, that's getting exposed there, as well as in the UK, you know, parts of Ireland. And it seems like as a country culture, people are very ready to expose it and say this is bad and, you know, stop it. Whereas in America, you know, we've had some really big exposing, like the Jerry Sandusky story, very important to expose what happened in Pennsylvania. And, um, uh, you know, I think that that helped along. I think that the Scientology movie going clear, exposing uh, it as a, the cult, a crazy cult that it is, has been important this year, as well as Alex uh, Gibney's uh, previous year, uh, exposing once again the Catholic Church all the way to, you know, the, the uh, Rome, you know, to the Pope, uh, who's not the Pope now. But uh, I just think that all this stuff is will help in America. But the problem with AA here in America, that I now know, that, you know, I think I would have a different film you know, then I have now, if I would have, like, halfway like halfway through, I could see that this problem was really systemic, it was really deep, but I still didn't know that everybody was being sent there. Like, I didn't know that pilots were being extorted there, and nurses, and doctors, and anyone really with a licensure. Um, I didn't realize that, you know, everyone who, basically anybody who gets arrested for any kind of drug or alcohol charge is like, okay, right away, there's like a blanket, you have a problem. Uh, you know, I just, it's bad. Like, I would say that Scientology is clearly a cult, and Scientology is crazy. But now they have more money than AA, but they are not as entrenched, like everywhere, as AA people are, and AA people are so brainwashed, even some nice good ones that they think, like they believe what they what you hear on the preamble that, you know, AA is not allied with any sect, denomination, politics, organization, or institution. Well, yeah, it is. It's completely embedded in like one section of our government, which would be the judicial branch. You know, it's like a whole branch of our government is enmeshed and in thread. It's almost like a bad alien movie. You know, I mean, I had said to Leon, you know, when I got off the plane here, I was like, you could feel the stepper shit just in the air. Like, you know, I'm not kidding. Like, you could you could see that people are so uptight here. People are not happy here in California. In Los, Well, let's just say in Los Angeles. Like, first of all, there's so many rules. Like, you can't take a bottle of wine and go down. Like, two adults, like, could get, you know, grab a submarine sandwich or you know, whatever, and take a bottle of uh, wine and go sit by the beach and enjoy yourself and relax. Like, you can't, like, that's illegal here. You know, they're just fucking crazy. Like, you can't walk your dog on the beach here. I mean, I, I know I've been through this rant before, but you get back here and it's illegal, you know, like jaywalking. Well, they don't have jaywalking rules in London. I don't think in Paris either. You know, plus those buses will run you over if you step into the street and you don't look where you're going. I mean, because a few almost ran Kevin and I over. So you better watch your ass where you're going. But, you know, I think that um, overall, you know, what basically happened is that the film got shown. There were some people that were uh, in Cannes that were from North America that were are interested in distribution. We exchanged cards. Um, there were people in Cannes that were there. And, you know, I didn't really meet with anybody who was a distributor there. I think it was, uh, you know, more for just everybody to come see it and uh which I think it was really very valuable for me as a filmmaker who spent three and a half years making the film to share it with other people that I've been blogging with and Skyping with for years now to sit with them in the movie in the theater with finished product and anyone who's ever written a book or made a film uh knows how tough it is to finish it and actually I don't feel like it's finished I feel like that I still want to edit the film I still want to shorten it I still want to tweak it a little bit and I may but Either way, um, I have a finished film. And um, I, I think that the next stage, not I don't think, but the next stage is distribution. Um, it is talking to people, which people are contacting me. A lot of people are contacting me through the 13-step film website. You can send me something at makeaasafer at gmail.com. You can send something through the Blog Talk Radio site here. You could go on to my Leaving AA website and, and contact me 
Um, and I am on Facebook and Twitter, 13stepping, at 13stepping is the Twitter account, and Monica Richardson or the film, the 13step, the film, you could find me on Facebook. Uh, for people that are wanting to deprogram, you know, it's not like there's anybody there that's, you know, teaching anybody how to deprogram. It's just a group of people that share how they deprogrammed and what we've done to what we feel like is deprogrammed. And I do think that there is such a thing, and I think that some of us have done more than others, and some of us, uh, you know, um, for whatever it's worth, I think blogging is huge help. And uh, I think reading these other books written by other people that are not, you know, 12 step people, whether it's Stanton Peel or Lance Dodies or Gabrielle Glaser, or there's plenty of books that are not even smart recovery books or craft, which is for family and friends. All of those books that I've read, uh, some of them cover to cover, um, you know, it's like, you know, like that whole other, th- you know, idea of a glass of water and it's all dirty and you add in fresh water and to the point where there's no more dirty water in it. Well, I think it's the same principle. You have that glass, that head is full of AA, and you just, you know, you're pouring in those books, and you're giving that head new information, and eventually it kind of cuts out some of the bad thinking. And I think I've been fortunate with Kevin to have somebody to kind of just talk it through back and forth. And to be quite honest, you know, I would say that both of us have actually spoken and seen professionals, you know, people with who are therapists, PhDs at the end of their name, who don't believe in AA, who have helped both of us as well in deprogramming. Um, so back to, I don't know if there's much more that I really can say about, you know, Cam, we had a great time seeing everybody. It was a pleasure to, you know, to meet um, Girl Scout, to meet um, Recovering from Recovery, to meet Michael, to meet John Stewart, to uh, finally meet Leon, meet some of those, those people, their friends. There were some old-time uh, stepper guys that came, and they were, you know, really, um, they liked the movie, think they thought it was important, they thought it needed to be talked about. And then there were some steppers who didn't like it, because, of course, they came onto my website and thought they were going to, like, bash my film on my blog, like it's, like, the New York Times website or something. And I'm like, you know what, this is, like, my blog. This is not a public blog. It's my blog. And, you know, a word about blogs, I want to say, like, you know, people, it's a really interesting thing going on with blogs, but go make your own blog. Like, if you have so much to say and you, you know, want to rant, then, you know, we, people spend a lot of time on their blogs. Like, Ilsa and Mark, when they did Stinkin' Thinkin', it was a much bigger blog than me. And um, she's an excellent writer. She wrote um, a really great book called Recover or Stop Thinking Like an Wait, said it? Stop Thinking Like an Addict? <laughs> It's called Recover with an exclamation point. Ilsa Thompson and I wrote it with Stanton Peel. Um, So, uh, wow, somebody just wrote that Going Clear won't be shown in the UK. They managed to get it stopped. Wow, that is really bad. That's shocking. Shocking. Um, That means you got some Scientologists up there in your... um, Yes, Scientologist in positions of uh, your press and power. That's really, that's messed up. Wow. Um, yeah, we had fun there, didn't we? We had fun. And um, we're going to have John Stewart on. Um, he's got a website. Uh, we're going to have him on. Maybe we could do it next week. Uh, but I don't, I, don't, I don't think I'd better plan it until I know that I'm not going to court. We have to figure out a time where we could do it where it's, not a bad time for you. I think it's eight hours ahead in London. I finally know my time. You know, I finally grasped it being there. Eight hours ahead for London and nine hours ahead um, for Paris. Uh, I want to talk about the Tracy White murder trial. All right. This is like, you know, I really, I went, I, I met Tracy once. I was at a party. Uh, I was playing the piano and singing, and he was standing next to me the whole time and just said beautiful stuff when I finished playing this song that I'd like to play by Judy Collins, and um, it was quite a few years ago, and Kevin knew him better and, and more from a meeting that he used to go to, and I went to support, and um, because I always felt like there was some sort of connection, some kind of, that they played him, which of course, that not of course, but which they did, um, still, you know, I heard testimony today of where they met, there was some... It was very unclear to hear part of this testimony. There was no video. It was just recorded um, outside a church, sitting on outside a church, which the church, was he near a meeting? And that that part is still unclear. But still that, they pretended that um, 
I think Tracy gave them some money, and then he actually, you know, um, took them down to um, a cheap motel or hotel downtown. I guess it's really a motel, very cheap, ugly, horrible place called the Continental, and um, paid for a room there. But they did play the, to get him out of bed, and you know, two o'clock in the morning was that they wanted to get clean, and they certainly um, both have drug problems. But the thing that I found really, really interesting today in the testimony was that there was footage uh, recorded of um, the alleged killer, um, Ed Garcia, in um, uh, in Pennsylvania over like 2009. This murder here happened in the fall of 2010. He should have been arrested for kidnapping and gone to jail. If he was in California, he would have gone to jail. But I, you know, I don't know. Even he, I, anyway, here, here or there, whatever you say, this is how it went down. So, um, the footage, you know, he shows him being interviewed by one of the detectives. And the thing that really caught my attention was how he kept calling himself a heroin addict, and the way. He said it was very stepper-like. Not that he's a stepper who has joined AA or NA, but that someone who has bought that, like and he's bought it for a long time. He said, "Well, you know, I'm a heroin, I'm a heroin addict. Like that's my, like that." He was saying it like, "This is who I am." So I'm fucking useless. And I was like, "Wow, like that's like really deep. Like that's." He has been brainwashed a long time. So when did that begin with this guy? And if, for those of you who haven't followed the story, and it's really sad because there is no TV coverage of the, there's no TV coverage going on. And I tried, but I think I might try again. But um, when we get close to the closing arguments, is that the way that that they, he, you know, and the coroner was there yesterday, in another coroner. I mean, I think they've had three coroners in there, and this was an expert guy from San Bernardino who's been doing it for 28 years. That the way he took him apart because it was a dismemberment. And, you know, it's interesting when you hear them ask how many, how many autopsies have you done in those years, and there was like 10,000, and how many dismemberments have you had? And it was like... I don't know, five, six, seven, in 10,000. So that means like this occurrence is really, you know, way less than, you know, I mean, we all watched Dexter, or maybe you didn't, but, you know, that this thing really is not as uh, popular as our stupid television will tell us it is. And anyway, the way it was done was very clean, and it was like somebody was knew what they were doing. And they did it with a three-inch knife. And um, they filleted him. I mean, there's, it's really bad. Like, I was in there, watched all the pictures, and almost, like, you know, fainted. But it's quite, uh, it was not done by an amateur. So you're, I'm watching this, and this, I went last week, three days in the morning, and I've, today is my second day. And today I stayed almost the full day. I had to get up and leave and come back here to do the show. But I was very disturbed, even by the way the detective asked him, well, you know, you got a problem. Well, maybe, you know, we can help you out, and maybe, you know, you can go to rehab. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, he kidnapped somebody. What the fuck does anything have to do with him getting out of kidnapping? Like, just because people use drugs doesn't mean you fucking kidnap people. Like, so you have, and, you know, the detective, I don't know him that well. Like, I don't know his background, but in law enforcement, they've been trained just like judges were trained that now it's just practice. Like, you know, somebody from AA, yeah, of course they are. Of course they are. And, you know, the inter- they're not just doing it for free. These steppers, these people have gotten into jobs and positions and social workers and probation officers and rape and crisis and, you know, and a few judges. There's probably not a lot, but there's a few. And plenty of lawyers, right? Oh, they become, you know, steppers. And I'll, today i got to tell you, I was in the, the uh, cafeteria, there was like a group. There was like four or five lawyers sitting around, and the three or four were like really senior. And then it was a young guy. And I had one of my pamphlets about, you know, professionals educating them on that there's other options and what's really going on in AA. And I, I couldn't resist, and I went up to one of them and said, "Here, I, you know, I think you need to know there's a lawsuit against AA, and that this stuff, you know, kind of, you know, you need to know that there's other ways out there. And I know that everybody sends everybody to AA. So why don't you take a look at this?" and tell your other lawyer friends, and I walked away. But, I, you know, it's got to be, like, this. it's so bad that I'm, 
you know, if the movie needs to get out, there needs to be a ton of media. You know, there's another movie, you know, that, uh, uh, what's his name, Greg Horvath made. That's really, really good about rehab and what crap rehab can be. And uh, it's very hard-hitting against AA, too, but he doesn't go after some of the same topics I do. And, you know, quite honestly, like, I would have spent more time on the extortion aspect of people being extorted to AA if I would have had the time and money and I would have known it sooner and, you know, I had been already making the film for three years when I found, when the first pilot, um, you know, came and contacted me. So if I had, I think if I had known at least, at least six months more, it really would have, uh, and I did go and interview one. We drove up to, you know, north to interview somebody. Um, you know, I... I just think it's so. Here, I just want to finish this story about Tracy. Is that um, this alleged killer? So they're, they're doing, they're they're trying them separately. It was a husband and wife team. Ed, Edward Garcia Jr. from Pennsylvania. If anybody wants to look up this stuff, I'd actually like to know this guy's background. York, Pennsylvania. I think he's 40 years old now. Um, and she is Melissa. Uh, what's her last name? I threw it down, but I don't think I have it in front of me. Uh, and um, Elizabeth, no, I'm sorry, not Elizabeth, but um, I am totally drawing a blank. It's okay. I'm super tired from, it's just really draining. Um, so Melissa, Melissa is her name. Her first name is Melissa. Oops, we got to turn this phone off. Sorry, I didn't, I didn't turn it off. Uh, she is going to be tried after him, so they're, they're going to have to pick another jury. This jury is amazing. It's a really, really um, attentive, very fair-looking, uh, diverse, very, very diverse uh, jury that's sitting in there and very good judge, I think. Um, and the DA is doing a great job. Uh, but, okay, so we find – so in this investigation today, the alleged killer just keeps, like, falling on that he's – I'm a heroin addict, you know, like, like what? Like, what does that mean? Like, I know heroin addicts that are like hippie, new age, like really, you know, great guys who are cleaned up and, you know, they, even when they were like using, like, you don't like cut people up. Like, what is that? When they actually did it, they were on, um, I think it was methamphetamine or crack cocaine. I don't really know too much about those two drugs, which I'm glad I don't know, but they were higher than whatever. And, uh, but here's the thing, is that the interesting part about what happened today is we get to see him constantly in both interviews, both the one that happened in Los Angeles, the interviews when they caught them, which was two weeks after the murder, right, that they, he keeps like using this excuse like, oh, you know, yeah, I'm so I didn't know what I was, I woke up, I didn't know what I was doing, and you're like, yeah. But people don't just go slice and dice people up. With such precision, it's done precisely and cleanly as the coroner's words were cleanly and um, as if somebody knew what they were doing. And yet in the interview, it's like, oh, no, you know, did you ever, like, you know, cut up a, like a deer? Did you ever go hunting or something? Oh, no, no, I've never done any of that. Um, so fast forward to today where they show... This, it's like a little house, but it looks more like an apartment in York, Pennsylvania. And um, the pictures are really telling. There are knives, like there are these knives that were used in the murder, and bigger, like placed all over the house, like all over the house. There were nine of, someone said nine, I thought I counted 15. But, you know, someone else there said that she counted nine, and I said, well, I think there was more than nine. But there were butcher hooks. Okay, guys, okay, butcher hooks hanging on the wall. There was a taser that's used to knock cattle out. There was the same rope that was used to tie uh, Tracy's arms and legs, the twine, the same kind of twine. Uh, there was tape, electrical tape, uh, which is also used to tie, um, I think there were gaffers, there was gaffers tape here in Los Angeles. But there were pictures, very, very good documented pictures of the inside of where he and Melissa, his wife, lived. And he said, oh, yeah, I stay here sometimes. Well, no. He had, you know, there was mail sent to both of them there. 
and they live there. So you have cattle racks, well, not cattle, but animal, you know, what did I just say? You hang animals on them when they're being slaughtered. And there was also a rubber mallet. I guess you would knock somebody out with that. And the knives all over. I mean, it was just fucking eerie. It was really, really eerie. Um, and I would say, we all were saying that, you know, it's for sure. I mean, not for sure. We're, you know, I'm not like, you know, um, Monica the Psychic here, but um, that this is from listening to the testimony of these guys that this had to have been done before. It's not his first. It's not his first. And um, so it was really, really, really creepy. And, you know, too, I feel really bad for the family, for his mother and his wife and his brothers and, you know, the people that are that are there because it is, was, I mean, it's just brutal. And the thing is, is that one of the things that when I was still in AA before I left, because it was really Christine and Sandra Cass's murder in August of 2010 in Honolulu that I was like, that's it, I'm done, which is in the movie. And then, but it was when I went to the meeting, my district meeting, the, the reaction of too many of the AA people were like, oh, that happens everywhere. I was like, really? I really don't know anyone else that this happened to. That they could say, well, I was part of Weight Watchers and this happened. Or, you know, I was a part of um, a Unitary Church. and uh, Or I was part of, you know, I went to Catholics, you know. Uh, I, I went to St. Mary's Church on Sunday and, you know, it happened there because I go there. No. I mean, yeah. Stuff happens on the street. But this whole attitude of when someone says it, and even when law enforcement might say it, that, I mean, it's I can't even get into this other conversation I had with another detective today. But I think, um, you know, it's just really, really outrageous. It's outrageous how brainwashed people are who are not even in AA in America. And the reason that you're brainwashed is because television and film have brainwashed America into thinking that Alcoholics Anonymous is this lovely little support group. Uh, they never show you having to pray at the beginning and praying at the end. Um, they never show the bullying. They never show people saying, what's your part in it with that bitch face that th- those women have? Um, or the guys, you know, bullying other men and calling them idiots and, you know, don't you know I'm better than you? I have 25 years, so I'm smarter than you and better than you. And really when they're not. Um, do they show men ripping other men off for thousands and thousands of dollars because they have 35 years of, you know, their time? And they, um, you know, it's there's just really bizarre shit that all of us who know, know what's going on. And I think that the way to really take it on and make change is to deal with whatever the primary thing would be, which was to stop all court ordering of violence and sex offenders, that nobody gets a plea deal where that's involved. Like, you know, you have to do this, this, and then that's it. You don't get this, 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 and send to AA or NA. Why? Like, what did people used to do? They went to jail when you when you kidnap somebody. Like, I don't give a shit that you're an addict or you drink too much. Like, what the fuck does that... Anybody who is forced there anyway, the percentage of people that AA works for... It works much better for people who actually probably have religious beliefs and people who want to stop at the moment they meet AA, right? There's that percentage. But that AA is not working for them. They did it, and they find this group of people to hang out with, which would be like maybe my scenario of like I quit on my own, and so I wanted to, thinking it was a fellowship. Well, you know, really, it's not a fellowship. It's not a fellowship because if you get, you know, killed and chopped up and murdered, like, you know, uh, uh, like Tracy did. Uh, trust me, there's like one. There was one person, one person that was um, from there, not related. That was there to support the family. There's like nobody there, except the family and family's friends, close friends. Right. So, back to you know, kind of taking things out that. Christine and Sandra Casket murdered. Then when I'm sitting there blogging one night, and Kevin comes back and tells me about Tracy's murder, and so I take a, I print out a picture and I print out a paper and I go to the next meeting, and it was sort of the end of my two-year commitment. And they, they were just like, oh, 
oh, you know, it just has nothing to do with it. It happens everywhere. And I was like, you know what? Well, if Tracy would have never been trained to be of service, he wouldn't have gone. And um, and also to say that is really cold. Like somebody told me that they're in that Facebook rowdy room and that somebody brought it up and they were talking about it. And it was like, well, he shouldn't have gone on the 12-step call anyway alone. It's like, are you are you fucking human? Are you human or are you just like an asshole? Are you just like one stepper asshole? Is that really what, like, you know, uh, that's what you're... Uh, but you know what? It doesn't matter. I think that the the weariness or the type of, you know, uh, Goliath kind of sense that I feel here in California is very, very real. That it's not, you know, I'm not paranoid. I'm not like, oh, my God. No, no, it's real. Um... You know, I think we have serious, serious, um, let me see here, uh, let me see, hold on a second, um, nope, let me kind of see, um, so great, isn't that great, um, let's see, uh, so, um, sorry, I just had to, Kick somebody out of the um, the chat room. <laughs> people, people. Oh yeah, look who that must be. Um, there we go. Uh, I think that there are people all over the country that are definitely taking action by contacting churches, and they are. Um, you know, they are taking action. People are doing things. I think the biggest thing would be that to warn your church that who is being sent there, who is there. And I think eventually protests outside of courts that um, where they do the DUI, that's something that um, we're going to do here. And, uh, and speak to judges. I've already connected with a judge here who doesn't like everybody being sent to AA. So I'm going to be contacting him uh at the end of the week and you know setting up some appointment to go down and talk to him and um you know so this is kind of what's going on now i have 818-475-9211 if you want to call in and um if you're a troll uh, get the hell off of my um radio show <laughs> go bye bye um, yeah, we, we booted him out. Let's see. Thank you for booting out that. Yes, I booted him out. It was probably somebody we all know in blogger land, but either way, he, he's gone or she's gone. But I, I suspect that it's a he, right? Um, you know, uh, there's a couple of things that I found to be very, very disturbing also being downtown uh, with dealing with uh, a rehab that's an AA rehab. I don't know if I've talked about this before, but it was told to me about... Uh, one of the detectives working on this case told me about this uh, a few years ago. It feels like it was a few years ago now. Maybe it was a year ago. Where there's an AA Spanish-speaking rehab that has Alcoholics Anonymous on the outside with the symbol on the outside and people bring their family members there, and they are tying them up, and they are dying, and they go through withdrawal because they are not doctors, and they are not medicating them properly, and then they are throwing them in the alleyways. And this has been happening for over seven to eight years, and I said, how many die a year? And it was like five to seven a year. And the coroner, I guess, was pretty annoyed about it and would like them to solve this case and do something about it. Um Part of the problem that I see is that even detectives in Los Angeles, so even the the whole police force and everybody's brainwashed. Like somebody's gotten in there and like, you know, they all think that AA is the only thing. Well, it's the only thing and, you know, it's like the last stop. And I'm like, no, it's not the last stop. No, it's not the only thing out there. And they look like, you know, like they've never heard that there's something else besides AA. Well, we know there's some other options. There's smart recovery, there's moderation management, there's um, taking naltrexone and doing the Sinclair method. You could read Claudia Christian's book. Uh, it's a great book. You could watch One Little Pill. 
It's her documentary that she made. I believe it's available on Vimeo to rent um, or to buy. Um, and, you know, you could try Ham's Harm Reduction, Kenneth Anderson's. A lot of this stuff is online. Smart Recovery has face-to-face meetings, but they also have a really big online presence. I think uh, Life Ring and Women for Sobriety, they're not in California. I think in San Diego, Women for Sobriety is bigger. Um SOS, Secular Organizations for Sobriety, has meetings. And, you know, granted, there's not a lot of meetings. But, but look, you know, when Bill Wilson started the whole thing, they met once a week. Like, nobody in their right freaking mind would get up every morning at 6.30 and meet with the, at Bill Wilson's house. Like, he was way too lazy for that anyway, I've heard, when I went on his tour. Even the docent said Bill Wilson was a super lazy guy. People met once a week. Like, this whole thing, well, there aren't a lot of meetings. You know, when people get sentenced to three meetings a week, nurses, you know, uh, pilots, why do you need to go sit in a room full of strangers? Half of them now are criminals. Uh, a certain percentage are violent offenders or sex offenders. You have sex offenders coming intentionally who aren't even court-ordered there. They're there to pray. You have young teenagers who just start to drink, and, and their parents, because they were stupid AAers, they're telling their children to go there. I mean, I'm ready to leave the country. I mean, you know, um, I think that, uh, thank you guys. There's hi, hi, Timothy. There's John and Leon and Timothy uh, and somebody else who I don't know are in the chat room. And hi there. And, um, oh, you're in Scotland. Wow, you're in Scotland. That's so cool. I want to go there. But I think, um, you know, that it's very, very big. It Sometimes it feels daunting, as Leon and I have talked about, that it's, you know, super big and it's super infested. And I'm like, really? You know what? Um, whatever. You know, like, just show my film and um, you guys can, you know, if this is the way you want to live, then you can live. But I don't want to live here. I don't want to live with this kind of thinking here. Um, you can see it in the culture that they don't know how to sit around. And I mean, I guess that's not true with the younger generation. I see out there enjoying, you know, on Friday and Saturday nights, Thursday nights. They, you know, they're at happy hour, and they are, you know, drinking. And you know, and I mean drinking. I mean having a beverage and having fun and socializing like normal people do in the rest of the world, where everybody is not either in a yoga cult or in Scientology or in one form of 12-step where, you know, if you have one drink, you're like, an, oh, my God, you're an alcoholic. Or, you know, just that kind of, it's, it's really here. It's not imagined. And you can see it in the lack of joy that, that people have. You know, you could go to Nordstrom's and just walk around and look at the women's faces. Um, sitting there alone, uh, you know, it's just, it's bad. It's really bad. And, um, excuse me, so I am doing my best uh, with the help of other people to get some media to talk about this and get the film in distribution. And I figure on, you know, spending a year um, traveling and um, no matter whether I get distribution or not, I will bring the film to certain cities and play it like I did in London and, you know, just be there one night, do a Q&A, um, and then leave, you know, come in and show the film and, and then uh, move on so that we could get the film seen in theaters in a, a, a significant, I mean, I don't know how many, whatever the biggest cities, maybe the top ten cities in the United States that I would do that, or where it's being requested the most, maybe, uh, and get it, and I really want to speak to medical students. I really want to speak to law students and to lawyers and to judges and to, you know, probably anybody that'll listen, but groups of people, because it's really that bad when you talk to people. They really think that, oh, it's this way and that this is this is the fact. And you're like, no, it's not. It's not that way. And, uh, you know, I I really don't know. I don't know what uh, how it will unravel here you know will that uh, you know will we get um some kind of paper media 
to also tell the story, worked so hard on it. We thought that, you know, one big, you know, uh, company was going to do it, you know, and then it turns out that, you know, it was Stepper, editor was above her, and so a way that cutting edge magazine that everybody thinks is so fucking cutting edge is not at all. It's run by a stupid ass stepper as the LA times and the New York times is. So it'll have to be, you know, some other paper. And, you know, I think when the lawsuit moves forward, that hopefully people will understand that they can also sue and they can, you know, suing is not really about financial gain. Although I think in some cases, People need financial gain so that they can get therapy and restitution. Like if you're raped by an A member, um, yeah, I think you should sue. Um, and you can, you know. So here's here's a couple of thoughts that um, you know when you're trying to piece a puzzle together and you're not really understanding. Well, wait a minute. There's just something wrong with when people say, "Oh, well, you know, you can't sue Alcoholics Anonymous," and "Oh, you know, well, it's it's only in the workplace." And but. As we continue to make the film, and, you know, I've worked with young people and, you know, 40-year-olds, all different age people, but here's here's the latest that I want everybody to think about. If you work for a nonprofit, um, you are then in a work environment, and then all sexual harassment rules are in play. So if you are a secretary, a treasurer, any type of service job in Alcoholics Anonymous, and you have anything like that happen to you, you can sue. And so you can sue the person, right? You could sue your meeting. You could sue your local area, uh, your inner group, and then you could sue New York. Because you are working for the nonprofit of Alcoholics Anonymous as a little do-gooder bee, right? And the other thing is that when they like to say, oh, well, we don't, you know, we don't have anything to do with those groups, Really? So then, why do you have literature asking all of your members all over the country, and why do you have committees in every city trying to get people to go into hospitals and institutions and bringing AA into prison? Your literature generated from New York all the way to California, you are completely connected. What do you think a general service representative is? Right? It's it's connecting. Read your stupid ass literature, New York, or AA member when you tell somebody that on a blog that that group that I am the representative from my little group of forty women that's connecting me to New York and you know damn well through your stupid little structure that that's what it is. So you are completely connected and then once you have my name and my address, you start to send me literature and you send me stuff asking me for money. So don't tell me that you're not connected. And actually, in Los Angeles, you if you want to get in the meeting schedule, you are completely connected here, that you can't just start, a, you could start a meeting, but you're not going to get in that book. You're not going to get in their meeting schedule unless you jump through a certain number of hoops. Hey, Jason, how are you? I just saw you here. Jason, hey, can you call in? You're, you're local. I have something I want to tell you. Um, 818-475-9211. We have about 11, 11 minutes left. Um, way to stick it to steppers who pull. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it is really important. And, and the idea with the lawsuit with sexual harassment, that did that didn't come to me. You know, I mean, I've been like trying to wrap my head around that when people say, you know, I mean, I spoke to lawyers like two years ago who we talked about that. That, you know, oh, well, it's not a work environment. Yeah, it is when you're in volunteering, when you're volunteering. And it was really my assistant who was volunteering at a, um, I mean, no, she wasn't volunteering, but she was overseeing volunteers at a little museum. And there was all these policies, and she had to do trainings, and it's like, really? So you think AA is like, people just think it's like this special secret something that they can just get around the law, and here's my caller. I'm going to take this because I think it's Jason. Hello, you are live. Oops, what happened? It went away. I lost the call. Okay, call back, 818-475-9211. We have 10 minutes that we can talk. Uh, so um, let me just see something here. Um, okay, here we go. Hello? Hello? Hey, Jason. Monica. 
Hey, how are you? Let me mute my speaker. Okay, can you hear me all right? I can. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay, good. So, welcome to the show. This is Blog Talk Radio. <laughs> all right. I heard you were uh, sticking it to the steppers who... I get that on my channel all the time, all those things you're saying. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they, they have this rhetoric they like to revert to, and it has no basis in reality and what the law is and, and what's ethical or right or anything like that. Mhm. Yeah, I was just reading through. Um, it was something that I found like that was kind of old when um, AA had told me to call this woman who was the head of the subcommittee for safety, and I called her, and she she told me when I this is when I found out that they were actually sending sex offenders to AA meetings, like they were court ordering them there, right? And I was like gasped. I thought, oh my God, look what I've uncovered and I can't believe this and I'm sure that A is going to be shocked, right? I mean, I was that naive. This is probably like in 2010 or maybe 11, right? I mean, it's really early on and uh, it's before I started making the film and she's the, and this woman who's in charge of this subcommittee said, oh, well, we're Alcoholics Anonymous. We can get around that. Yeah, like, like they're what? above the law. You know, I said, wait a minute, like, wait, what did you just say to me? And she said it again, and I went, why would you want to get around that? Why don't you want to just, like, there were children there, there were teenagers there, like, what? And then I went, oh, my God, like, it felt like one of those bad dreams where, like, everybody's a witch, or it's like, it was like, like a Twilight Zone episode. <laughs> but I wanted to just tell you that uh, people really respond so great to you um, in the, in the screenings that when you come on and say you know the different things that you say throughout the film, Pete, you're really well liked, and you just should know that. That and then the very last screening in London, which had you know a really significant amount of people in this, it was a theater that held about 200, and I think it was like half full or something. But um, when you say hi, I'm Jason, and I'm free from Alcoholics Anonymous. <laughs> The whole theater, (laughs) they just laughed. I mean, they love it. They just love it. (laughs) Well, I haven't seen it yet, so it's kind of weird to me, but I can't wait to see it. No, you saw it here. You saw it here last summer. That part was right, in the but movie you left. changed it, right? You. Oh yeah, I did. I did move things around. So here's what happened. Like I, I added like a couple of pro a people, but your all your stuff is in there. We added like a little more what they call B-rolls, so that a friend of mine, his song, could play more. But all of your, you know, all of your stuff is in there. Um, right. Yeah, there was, I don't think we, we cut out somebody who changed her mind. Um, yeah. She got some cold feet, so we took her out, and then I added some. But your, all the stuff that you said is still in there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I just don't remember all of what I said except uh, being free and... <laughs> I guess it was so surreal sitting there when uh, I watched it in that screening. Mm-hmm. It, it's it was like an, a total experience, like of uh, you know history in the making, and it's hard to remember <laughs> everything that happened. And it's like I wanted to see the film again just because I want you know so I can remember what's in it because it's been almost a year now. Yeah, in August it will be a year. Now I'm hoping. Um, that somebody can help make a screening in um, in San Francisco and then in Sacramento. Like, it would be good if I could do... So somebody who's a yeah. professional wants to help me um, do the one in San Francisco, and then I could just come to Sacramento. And if there were mm-hmm. enough... I don't know that there's enough, you know, interest there or ex-steppers that I, I would have to kind of find another way to... I mean, you can do, like, on-demand where you can see how many people buy tickets, and then if not enough people buy, you decide whether you do it or not. But I really hope that mm-hmm. you can um, – I do want you to see it again. And, well, once I get um, insured and then I talk to some distributors, how that I can give, you know, people that are in the movie or people that donated to Indiegogo, at what point, you know, I can get people the DVDs. Um, when I make them, I haven't made them yet. The only kind that I've made are for – for screenings, you know, but you're, mm-hmm. you you also say a line where you said um, when they told you to toughen up, you know, like your sponsor told you really toughen up, and you know you better oh, get used to it. Yeah. Better, better get used to it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like yep. you just were like you talked about suffering from depression, and um, 
there there are just a lot of your likable. I think that's why your YouTube videos do well. And on that note, have you made any new videos? No, I've kind of had to step back just because uh, it's for my own well-being, my own sanity, you know. <laughs> I still comment some. I've kind of, like, backed off from that, too. It's just so it's just getting to be overwhelming to where I need to step back and process what's happening mm-hmm. because it's it's hard. It's like I'm, yeah. it's like I'm trying to uh, understand. <laughs> it's just... Everything changed, so. Mhm. It's a good thing. I'm not, you know, that's a good thing for sure. Of course it is. Yeah, I mean, I think it's a process that you know when you're doing it a lot. Like even I've thought about with this radio show, and I, you know, miss doing it. But you know, when I was gone, that um, it, it's a lot to manage. And how I thought to myself tonight as I started the show, like, how much longer will I do this show? You know what I mean? Will I do it mm. for another year? You know, um, I don't know. I mean, this is like once a week. It's not like, you know, with a blog. Like, I manage the blogs. It's just like you have your your videos. Now, it, it's Recovery Truth 1. Is that it? Mm-hmm. That's correct. I'm just going to go there for a quick second. Recovery. Um, do you have more haters or do you have more support? What do you have the most of? Right now, I would say I have more support. Uh, I had I got into it with some guy the other, yesterday it was. Apparently he knew my parents or whatever, and he was. Oh, I'm sorry. There's someone backing me outside. Oh, that was weird. Pick up. Yeah. But um, he uh. Um, no, I just I think anyway. I asked you about um, but we have like three minutes left. So I tried to actually yeah. go to your thing, and I clicked on something. It went to something really weird. But uh, recovery is one. You are getting a lot of support, much more support than hate, right? Right, yes, and I'm surprised. And maybe that's because the film is out, I guess, or people have seen it at least. So they're maybe going to my channel and they already like me and then they leave a comment about how they like my video. Right. And and that would make sense. I didn't think about that. Yeah, I think because there was a lot of um, PR in Europe it was a tremendous amount of PR that we did there that has to trickle here because the Internet makes that possible. You know what I mean? And I think people right. feel there are a lot of people coming to um, Facebook, right? I mean, there's a lot of Facebook. And there's a lot of more controls there. I think it's better than maybe a blog where there's no controls, um, where you know people get out of line. You can just boot them off, you know, you can block them, mm-hmm. and you, there's there's safety controls there where there's some places where there is not. But um, I want to I wanna thank you for, for calling in and listening and, you know, being a part of the film. And um, I've been, like, really swamped going to this murder trial. So, um, oh, yeah. Yeah, it's pretty brutal. Um, but I would love to Skype with you, but maybe we could do it next week. But I want to thank you okay. for calling in. I want to thank everybody um, for joining and listening in. And I'll be back. I'm going to have um, John Stewart on. I think we're going to try for next week. And I'm just going to try to have more guests on coming up and keep things flowing, you know, and have some more professionals on to talk about other things. Right. Keep moving forward as we... Moving um, forward, yeah. Moving forward, right. Uh, moving forward. <laughs> the... the um, what what what's going to replace AA? You know, we got to have. I don't know. I'm not a professional, so that's where I kind of don't know so much. So it's hard for me to say. But I'm for any kind of thing that's scientifically based. In yeah, I think it's going to be a combination. I think it's going to be a combination of um, some good books and combination of smart and hams and moderation the use of naltrexone, um, people getting out of the habit of thinking you have to go somewhere. Nobody needs to go anywhere. Like, that's really, like, I think I really hit on it. It was only 30 seconds left, but I'll say this. Bill Wilson went once a week. They they met at his house once a week. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, there is not a need to be uh, to have to go somewhere every day. That is really a um, rehab created, that kind of thinking and a powerlessness. So we've got to get that out of there. We have to get empowerment, get people back to mm-hmm. feeling like they have will. We have a will. 
You know, we are not. Like, right. I mean, it, it's it's bad, Jason. I know that you know it is. That's why you spent your time making all your videos, and I made a film, and um, my time is up, and I think the radio show is over. So I want to thank you for calling in, Jason. I want to thank everybody for listening. I'm Monica Richardson for Blog Talk Radio, radio Safe Recovery, and we'll see you next week. All right, Jason, we'll talk soon. Talk soon. All right, take care. Good night, everybody.